Brandy, welcome to the Perpessence Podcast. Well, hi. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me here. So you are a peer support specialist. And for the listeners, can you explain a little bit about that and about what your qualifications are? Yeah, as a peer support specialist, we are hired from lived experiences, uh, mostly in the mental health field. Recently, they're up and coming in the last several years, but it entails having had lived experiences. Um, my own personal journey is just, I've had a lot of trauma and a lot of experiences that I had to work through. I experienced depression, had to navigate the systems and do all of that. And so we're able to come alongside people who who really want to be seen and heard and understood. And um, and people sometimes don't feel heard and understood. So with peer support, we're just a little bit more easier accessible than um, therapists at the time. At times, And we're, we, we come on that lived perspective uh, level. So there's not this hierarchy. Like we're not part of the quote unquote system. So it's a little bit different. People tend to share a lot more information faster because we share our stories alongside of them. So what does mental health mean to you? Mental health, it encompasses everything. It encompasses um, the internal dialogue we have. It encompasses anxiety, depression, uh, suicide ideation. It can be how we feel every day, everything that we experience emotionally is part of our mental health. So, and we all have it. We all have mental health, whether it's, you know, a positive good, it's on a great place um, for you at that, that time, or if it's, you know, might need to be supported in different ways. Like every single one of us has mental health. It's weird because it's something that we can't see. So like usually people say seeing is, believing and we can see physical health you know like oh i am out of shape i need to go on a diet or like you you know but like people don't think of that with mental health at all like so like how can we start doing it from a mental aspect kind of compared to a physical aspect yeah you know it's so interesting you say that because have you ever have you ever had a heartbreak? Oh, yeah. I, I don't know anyone who hasn't. Right? Well, when your heart gets broken, do you feel pain? Is it physically painful? Oh, yeah. It's like, if you look back, it's probably like the worst, really. Yeah, right? Um, and how about, let's say, like, somebody hits you in your car, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you get in a car crash, right? Instantly, our body is flooded with uh, adrenaline and cortisol. Yeah. Um, so these are physical things. When you have anxiety, um, some people experience uh, rapid heart rate, um, uh, diarrhea. Sometimes, I mean, to be honest, like you get those feelings. And mental health actually is physically felt within our bodies. We just don't really talk about it that much. So everything that we go through, I mean, there's a reason why people do not want to lean into their pain or a bad experience that they've had, whether it's something that happened in their childhood. Um, We are seeking 
the we are seeking coping mechanisms that help us not to feel and and that's in so many of us whether it's you exercise every day you know five days a week and there's a there's a healthy part of it and then there if you're using it to access to to create the inability to to not think about your problems i mean we look at Brene brown who talks about that the the need to be busy is is a, there's a reason we're busy. Um, people often don't stop to sit down and and be alone with their thoughts. I mean, there's a, there's a reason for that. Well, oh yeah, oh, definitely. Because if you're going through a bad time, okay, let's say in the household, like if you're going through a bad time in the household, it's kind of a relief to go to work even though like normally going to work we're just going to work to make money we don't really want to be there but when there's turmoil in the household like serious turmoil work is an escape from the household which no one really wants to be at work though yeah i think you captured it well it's an escape yeah. We are constantly, in my perspective, and my peer perspective, we're constantly trying to escape our reality because it's why. Why are we not? Why are we not effectively communicating our needs? Like, if there's some turmoil, what is the barrier to resolve conflict? You know, I mean, if we are seen and heard in our relationships then the turmoil that we're experiencing at home ideally should be workable. But if we don't have the skill set to resolve conflict in a collaborative way, then we tend to avoid things. So it, it makes sense to me. And this is why I feel like mental health is so important. We learn our communication styles in our childhood. Like the way, I mean, the way that our needs were met or not met in our childhood will give us the outcome of where we are right now as adults, you know? So if you're able to, if you live in a home where your parents met your needs, they, you know, they came beside you, they supported you, um, all of those good things. And doesn't mean that you didn't have any, you know, bad times because of course that's just, that's just normal part of life. But if, it, if a child comes into this world and their needs are being met, they grow up being um, confident and, you know, resilient and knowing how to resolve conflict. So it comes back to what did we learn as children and how do we, how do we work through conflict resolution? Yes, that is huge. And personally, myself, I am not a, uh, I don't have any expertise in this situation, but from the, the from what I've read, the studies and the knowledge I've accumulated is around the age of two years old. This is when you start. This is around two years old is like it impacts the rest of your life. So yeah. it, this is has to do with your parents and how you're raised. So like how they're treating you is going to impact the rest of your life. This is what causes anxiety. Like this is yeah. what, this is what causes like 
like serious mental like health like this is it's huge and when you have when you're raised with parents that have high anxiety or that is parents that are narcissists and everyone's from uh, a an author, a big author that I follow, I read a lot of his books, Robert Greene. He claims that we are all narcissists. We're all on a scale, just like, like think of I I like to think of autism, and there's a scale of autism. There's mild to uh, severe. And I think I like to think of narcissism on a scale mild to severe and we're all every single one of us we all think about ourselves like no one's thinking about you as much as you so like we're all we're all on that scale but if your parents are like on the the severe scale of narcissism and uh, another parent is has anxiety disorder and you're a 2 year old like I'm just trying to, you know, be a two-year-old and they're already on this scale and that's going to impact your life and you're going to be an adult and like you're going to have the same thing, really. Unless you do yeah, something we, about it. I agree. I mean, we are accumulation of our experiences. Um, I'll have to check out that author. There is also... Robert, um, yeah, it's Robert Green. Robert Robert Green. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, somebody that I look up to and actually had the opportunity to meet in person is um, Gabor Mate, Dr. Gabor Mate. And mm -hmm. he talks about, and what I like about the fact that not only is he, you know, educated as a doctor, but he, in my experience and what I feel is he's also a peer. He shares his lived experiences and brings that to his work. And one of the things he talks about as, as any one of us are born into the world, we have two needs and that need is for authenticity and attachment. Now we have to be born authentic because what two month old baby isn't going to be authentic. You know, I mean, we come into this world completely authentic on our hands and our knees, waiting for our parents to meet our needs. And he says, what happens is, is, and this can, it doesn't mean you come from an abusive home. This doesn't mean that these are bad parents, but what happens is, what if a parent cannot attune to the needs of their child? A baby will not give up attachment. They will give up authenticity. And what I find that is so fascinating is he talks about his own story, and hopefully I won't butcher it, but how he was born in uh, 44 Budapest, Hungary, just before the invasion of the Nazis. And he explains that at about a year old, he was nonstop crying. And his mother had called um, the physician and said, can you please come visit my baby? He won't stop crying. And the doctor said, well, that's every baby in this village. Now, what I really appreciate about Dr. Monte is as he's grown up and he gets older, he starts asking questions that people hadn't asked before. Why is it that every single baby in that village would be crying nonstop because they don't know about Hitler or they don't know about all that. But he starts to realize what they do know is that their parents they notice their mom's face. They notice the anxiety. They notice all of this stuff. And so a baby will naturally drop their own needs in order to keep that attachment. 
So, I mean, curiosity piece, you know, are so many of us afraid to be authentic because somewhere along the way in our childhood, even well-meaning parents couldn't attune to our needs. And so we learned to drop our needs. Hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, that's huge. That babe, babies, you know, their vision isn't the greatest, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, essentially, I mean, they're, most likely looking for the mother's face. I mean, if I, I were to guess, but I mean, also the father's, but like, but they're, they're looking for the face and if they see the face and that brings comfort. And if that face isn't comforting, then the baby's going to pick up on that. Yeah. The stress. Oh my gosh. All that stuff. And we think about um, modern day. I mean, even as a single mom, like, you know, I worry all the time financially. I mean, there's so many things that are in our midst that we might not be able to always attune to the needs of our children. So mm-hmm. I think it's, it's such a deep question that you ask. I mean, we go back, we went on this route, but, you know, it's and mental health is, it, it, it's everywhere. It's all, it's all part of who we are. Yeah. And I, I'm going back to that Robert Green uh, guy. And, uh, he basically he's an author and he deeply researches a lot of his uh, human behavior, neuroscience, science and history, and he deeply researches. And he claims that neuroscience says that ninety five percent of our human behavior is like it's kind of it's 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 unexplained 95% of our human behavior is we don't understand where it comes from like we don't control it it's like it's like either controlled by dna by your you know by your parents by your um, environment by like you know, where you're growing up from, like you don't control it. It's unexplainable. Yeah. So well, studies are showing and proving nowadays that our trauma can be passed down from generation to generation. Yeah. So in our genetic makeup, mm-hmm. if you have past traumas or historical traumas, um, all of those kind of things, they're part of our genetic makeup of who we are today. So mm-hmm. some of the things we do might be innate and, and we might not understand exactly why we're doing it. But at the same time, I, I highly believe that we can change that, but to change it, we have to understand it. Yeah. We have to become aware, self-aware. Mm-hmm. I think that re- that self-reflection is huge trying to figure out and being honest with yourself. It doesn't mean you have to tell anybody what you do in your own behavior. If you're like, why, well, why did I do that? I'm really curious. Tell me yeah. more. Tell tell me more. Why did I do that? Yep. And kind of figure yeah. that out. And he talks about this dark behavior that we have, and we all we all have this dark side. It's kind of like when someone's married, and the wife is nervous or embarrassed to talk to the husband about her deepest desires and the sexual fantasies. I know I'm getting kind of like out there, but like 
because he will view her differently. And like this is her dark side. We all have this dark side. We all we all do. And we're kind of nervous and like embarrassed to talk about this dark side. And we like to pretend that it's not really us, but that's actually the real us. Yeah. Well, I find it fascinating that um, just the words that you use, because uh, I kind of think of what you just said, sorry. But, um, you know, our society in general vilifies any woman to be sexual. I mean, it is so hard. I mean, for us, it's like you, you, you sleep with somebody, you're a slut, you're a hoe. There's so many things within our culture that create the stigma for women to actually enjoy sex. So the fact that it's a dark side is interesting to me because I embrace that part of myself. And, but I think, you know, there's this in mental health, they call it the shadow side or, mm. um, you know, it's, it's that part of you who, who, who is afraid to be real with that. So just like you're saying, it's like the shadow side, but mm-hmm. I, I think it comes to, for me personally, if somebody is completely authentic in who they are and they're able to do that, like, it might not be such a hard conversation. And I don't know, you know, I mean, I grew up, I wasn't always in a religion, but I joined um, a religion from when I was 15 and I left just right after my divorce. And there's so much pressure to, to not ever, you know, you're not allowed to have any sexual thoughts. You are constantly taught that you're a sinner and you're horrible and all of these things. So culturally in different microcultures, whether it's a church culture, our societal culture, your family culture, all of these things create this dynamic which shames women for being sexual. But on the flip side, there's also this shame for men who are emotionally um, expressing their feelings. So I think there's this double-edged sword to, to both of it in our society and really we need to be able to express everything, our sexual, um, the, the sexual chemistry. I mean, we're just human beings. We're really animals and sex is great. Like it's pleasurable. Like why are we taught to be shamed and why can't, you know, we have these sexual fantasies, but I think it comes back to our society and how we're conditioned by each, um, whether you're male or female or whatever you identify as, because I want to acknowledge that gender fluidity is important um, in my perspective as well as honoring all those who um, have gender fluidity and all that stuff too. I think it has to, I think it boils down to society and how they, how society has developed marriage, religion, and like, how we go about that. Like, I feel like that's a big part because religion says, you know, you can't have sex until you're married and marriage and society is like how the government makes money. And it's like, what's really the truth and what, what religion's real and like what, what's all going on? Who am I? (laughs) So like, you're, you're, you told one thing and you're, you're always told what to do your entire life. And you don't even know what you really want in your life. It's, it, it's, it's a madhouse. Right. You know, and, it's so true. Um, oh, sorry. Go ahead. 
and you said that you were saying that women need to embrace their you know their dark their dark side their shadow sides like their sexual desires and the men is more towards their emotional and like i can only speak from you know a man's perspective that a man should embrace their emotions but like that is underneath their own terms like i i i've been seeing things online like facebook and whatnots which i re- really can care less but like the like i i i'm starting to see people like we're in 2019 and we're seeing more like equal rights and all that stuff more than ever and they're like i'm seeing a lot of like oh why can't men be stay-at-home dads we need more of that like we need that should not be frowned upon and it's like men i'm gonna lay it out men are masculine and females are feminine and it's just masculine men are not not the stay-at-home dads I mean, it, it. I'm sure there's, there is exceptions. You know, if 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 you're in a relationship and the female happens to have a, you know, a degree and a great job and they're in a relationship and the dad's does not, I yeah, like common sense says you are the one that's going to make more money. Why should you stay at home while I make nine dollars an hour? Like, duh, you're making $30 an hour. You should probably work. Like, yeah, that makes sense. But like, well, and yeah, but like, I'm looking back, we have humans have not changed much for the time we have been around. Like, like, I'm talking about like, like, how, like, the, the hierarchy, like, how, like, the, like, we're still like extremely primitive. Like we have like parts of our brains that we've always have had. And like males are like this, like dominant, like creature, like we're not much, we're not much different, but like men are like always have to move up. And I can only talk about the male, male perspective. I cannot talk about the female perspective because I'm not the female, but like, we're always moving up. So like us staying at home is like, I feel like, I just feel like it doesn't work. You know what I mean? I don't know. What do you have Uh, to say? (laughs) Well, just from my perspective, I think you have to, it's individual. Everybody has to do what they feel is best for them and their family. And I think like for my perspective, I think there's gender fluidity. Which meaning okay. for me at this point when we're talking about that, the whole human soul, like I'm very masculine in many ways, but I'm mm-hmm. very feminine. Feminine. I think mm-hmm. from my own perspective, we have masculine feminine qualities throughout each one of us. We do, yes. So I'm just like, I think there are certain people and there are men who are more, um, who have been proven to have more testosterone. And mm-hmm. and actually there's been studies done that men who have higher testosterone actually have less empathy. I mean, there's all of these things and I don't know, I'm not a doctor. I don't study all that. I just like human behavior fascinates me. Yes. And um, 
I just think, you know, I have guy friends who are staying at home and they're a fantastic stay at home dads. And that's, that's where they are. I feel like people just need to do what's right for them. Like I, in peer support, that is part of my job. Like I am not there to, to judge anybody's path. I, um, I walk alongside people and their truth is their truth. And, and being culturally responsive is really important in my job as well. Like everybody will have their own take, just like you have your own take. And if I were to be a peer support, I would honor your own story and where you're at. And I think that's really important as we are learning to move forward in life with, with making more connections and deeper connections because mm. We are so, in my perspective, our culture is so living on surface and so many people are experiencing pain and, and nobody is really acknowledging that. I mean, I feel so much, um, personally, whether people believe it or not, an empath, like I can feel people's energy and all of my life, people have come up to me in stores and have started telling me whatever they needed to tell me. Now, I didn't, mind you, I didn't know this was different until like the last four years. I'm like, what, you don't experience that? People just come and tell you these things in the middle of a store? I mean, my kids laugh at times because they've, they've grown up with knowing that people, they're always, people are always like, did you know them? I'm like, no, I didn't. I feel like there's this inner need for so many people to feel seen and heard because it's, we're just scratching the surface. Nobody is really diving into relationships. And that's kind of, I mean, we can go into that talking about dating because it's just, I mean, that's what I've seen so far in my experience with dating as well. People are afraid to be seen. Number one, they want to be seen, but being seen has to be safe. Knowing that they're going to share part of their truth, they need to feel secure, supported, and that they won't be judged. And so that's really part of what I do as a peer support. And it, it just works. People want to be listened to. And, and it's hard. Yeah, definitely. People want to be listened to for sure. But I feel like what's important is the, the why. Like, do you want to be listened to for valid validation? Like, if you would just want to be validated, then like whoever's listening to you, like it doesn't even matter. Like, like, is it authentic or is it for validation? Like, I think, I think for me, like validation, it doesn't, you have to have a connection. It doesn't, most people do not, number one, know how to validate other people. I mean, we talk about, you go by people in the store all not the time. How are you doing? People, Fine. But more for themselves. Yes, you, you are, I believe you're 100% on that. But like, like, okay. So like, if, if someone goes over to someone else for a conversation, do they just want to be validated because they want to be seen? Or are they authentic because they want to start a conversation and have a true, authentic conversation? I think it depends on the person. I mean, I have been approached in stores many times, and a lot of them are older people who who don't have anybody in their lives anymore. They're lonely. Um, they need that connection. I mean, we are wired for connection. And if you're not being seen and heard, I mean, it can feel pretty lonely. And on the other hand, I've been... You know, it's, I am not seen very much in the, in the dating world. Men 
men look at me and they want to, they want to maybe try to get with me. Um, and maybe that sounds vain and, and mean or whatever it does, but it's like, I know the pain of somebody that doesn't appreciate you as a human being who only just sees what you have to offer as a physical sense. So I feel so often people really do. It's not, it's not necessarily the validation. It's somebody who's authentically opening their heart and willing to listen. And I, and people get that with me. Like I'm not anybody that comes into my space. I want to give them love like because i think we're missing it so much in our world well if i feel like i feel like if you live a life of love and i mean we have to define what love really is but like if you live a, a life of love loving everything and everyone you meet and like i feel like people are going to see you differently not just a physical sense, but like they're gonna they're gonna have to realize that you live that life of love, like but you have to love yourself though. I mean that that that's a big thing. Well, you do have to love yourself, but how do you love yourself if you weren't loved as a child? I mean, I think this is also a deep question because mm-hmm. i've heard that too you need to love yourself before anybody can love you i think well let me a, tell you that's how shameful i i mm-hmm. feel yeah i feel shame when somebody says you need to love yourself because oh my god it's my fault again that nobody loves me because i don't know how to love myself it's like that you know it's like in order to grasp being loved you need to also experience love and and sometimes if you haven't experienced kindness and love and connection we might push it away so i mean i get it like i do think we need to learn to love ourselves and at the same time how do we go about doing that if we don't know how to love ourselves it's 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 huge it's a huge question Uh, yeah that's something i had to face with i had to learn how to love myself and to learn to love yourself you need to accept to be alone which means Mm -hmm. not to be lonely and you have to learn how to be with yourself. I, I feel like if you don't know how to be with yourself, you don't know how to be with someone else. So if you're with someone else, you're kind of fooled into this fake reality of love. Yeah, I concur. I think you really do. I, I think so many people are afraid to be alone. Um, and maybe it goes back to that first question we were kind of talking about where if you're keeping yourself so incredibly busy because you don't want to stop to think and, and acknowledge your life story, your pain and all that stuff, like you don't know how to be alone. I mean, I think it's so important. There's, there's this beauty and also this extreme pain when you sit with yourself alone. You learn and grow and you start to, inter, to interact with your own self you start asking, at least in my experience, you start asking those deeper questions. What is it that I want? And that's what I do in my job too. Because sometimes some people, uh, I just have recently had a conversation with some gentleman um, who came into to my life and we ended up talking about very similar things about this. 
And for the first time, I said, well, what do you think it is that you want in your life? And, you know, I think he's in his early 30s. And he just said, you know what? Nobody's ever asked me that question. And then I saw him a couple days later and he said, oh, my God, you know what? I've been thinking about this question ever since. And you know what? I, I want this and this, but I've never known that. So it's like, are we taking the time to stop and reflect what we want or are we molding into the people that we are? Like, I think about Runaway Bride and that movie. And it's, you know, it's comical um, how the main character, I think it's, um, oh, my gosh, Julia Roberts, right? And, yes. and Richard Gere. Yep. But she's, she's constantly um, running away at the altar. And this guy comes in, he's like making fun of her, like, why do these guys fall in love with her? She's not that pretty, all this stuff. And then, of course, he starts he starts to fall in love with her. But he's the first guy who actually noticed that she didn't know who she was. And um, so she kept running away. And I feel like sometimes people don't know who they are. They're scared to, they're scared to find out, maybe. And I don't know. This is just a perspective. I have no idea what everybody experiences. I'm just curious if, if people run away from who they are because of their life experiences as a child, were their needs met, were they not met? You know, was it okay to be your authentic self? Was it not okay? Like we create behavior patterns in our childhood that oftentimes were survival versus thriving. And as adults, they're now maladaptive. Those survival skills that we had as children are maladaptive. It keeps us from connecting. So it's, I mean, that's how I feel about it anyway on a previous episode i said like if you're in relationships and you know you're bouncing around it's like are you bouncing around from relationship to relationship you know trying to find yourself like and but you're you know you're bouncing around and you're not finding yourself because you're trying to find it through someone else when truly it's within yourself and you're never going to find yourself within someone else. You have to take the time and look within. Yeah. Well, my curiosity goes, if you're bouncing to relationship to relationship is, are, what are you avoiding? What is it about going to a different relationship? Like, why are you moving forward? I mean, are you avoiding conflict? Are you avoiding your own thoughts? Are you avoiding mm -hmm. yourself? Like, what is it? There's something going on that you're trying, you're right. Like you're trying to fix yeah. it for something else. I mean, we often feel like I used to be one of those girls, like, oh, I can fix them. Okay. Yeah. God. That, and you can't fix anybody. I mean, this is where I at now in my forties. Um, and, and this, you know, that's my job as a peer support. I'm not there to fix anybody and nobody wants right. to be fixed. No. We as human beings want to be experienced exactly as we are. And when we feel safe and when we feel loved and supported, that's when we can do our best work is when, mm -hmm. when we know that we're accepted and we're okay where we're at and it yeah. feels safe. Like my guess is people jump also because they don't feel safe. They don't know how to communicate. They don't want to dig deeper. They don't want to know about their own history and pain. And I get it. Like, you know, my life is not, super easy either <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, yeah yeah spoil spoiler alert no one needs <laughs> to be fixed yeah nobody does nobody wants to be fixed nobody needs to be fixed yep. we need to be experienced we're the all, human soul needs to be experienced as it is we're all perfect the way we are we have to accept ourselves but like you have to know thyself and before you know someone else and 
that's not easy. No, it's not easy work at all. It's hard. Yeah. And I, it's like parents don't teach this. I've never heard of anyone that taught this. I had to learn this myself. And after I had kids, you know, it's like, but you know, like they said, practice makes perfect. That is a true statement through anything I've ever done. And that speaks for relationships as well. And the perfect relationship is going to be with yourself. And you don't have to be in a relationship with someone else. It doesn't have to be this thing that everyone else is in because most likely they're going to be, most likely they're going to be divorced. Most likely they're going to be broken up after eight years or not even lasting after a year. So like you don't have to be in a relationship with someone else, but also on the flip side, that doesn't mean that, you know, everything is doomed either. Yeah. Well, it's hard to be alone. I mean, I've been single eight and a half years and I've learned to be alone. I will not settle. I know what I want, but it can be pretty painful. I mean, loneliness in general is painful and we really do need connection and and there are great connections that I have through my female friends and all that stuff, but there's mm-hmm. still, there's still that need for physical, emotional, sexual, all of that stuff is part of the human, human makeup. Like we need that, yeah. you know, something my therapist taught me, um, as I was actually getting divorced, um, she said something to me that uh, this was gosh, eight and a half years ago now, but it was so interesting and perplexing to me. But then I learned from it so much. She said, you know, you guys didn't come together out of love. You came together out of dysfunction. And then right. she said, you know, so often people think in our world that two people only come together out of love. Right. And, and right. that is so ideal. Oh, my gosh. If two people came together out of love, like we would not see where we're at. But two people most often come together out of dysfunction and necessity because our brains are drawn to familiarity. So if in our childhood, our familiarity was toxic, our familiarity was um, neglect, our familiarity was not being seen. Our familiarity was whatever that was, you know, we are drawn to that, whether we realize it or not. I mean, not everybody is going to, I mean, maybe there's some great people who came from dysfunction, didn't, who came across a great relationship and it worked. But in general, our brains are geared towards that familiarity. So we're going to crave, whether we realize it or not, the same patterns that we grew up with. And I, I did, I fell into the same patterns. And it doesn't always necessarily have to be parental patterns. I mean, we also grow up in, you know, siblings and all of this stuff. So there's all these layers to who we are and why we choose what we needed to we choose. And and I think that's what being alone gives you the opportunity to choose different patterns. Like you start to become aware, is this person a healthy person or is this person kind of like my same pattern and it can be brutally hard and very difficult to be honest with yourself because if you quote fall in love with somebody and you only see the greatness then um then you're like kind of blinded by this so you it's really about being honest with yourself like is this person what i'm seeing or not yeah patterns we are built by patterns that is yes 
we're just like an algorithm in a computer software program, just like it. We're built on patterns, and what kind of patterns do you want to be built on? It could be a death sentence, and you not even realize it. Do you want to live for 30 years, waking up, going to the same job, coming home, taking care of the house and your kids and your wife is there and you're miserable. I'm male, male perspective, by the way, and you're miserable yeah. and you're doing this day in and day out. Like, is that the life you want to live or do you right. want to make the best of it and like actually have a good pattern in your life? And, you know, this comes to your job, your job. Sh it's important. You should have a job that you have no, little to no stress in it should be a job that you're health mentally and physically healthy that way when you come home you're you know in good spirits and same thing with your home life it should keep you mentally and physically healthy that way the cycle is you know like that for you know as long as you can keep that going because nothing is permanent but like it, it is super important like patterns are huge so what patterns do you want to choose in your life that you want to keep going and patterns can be broken pattern you, you can build patterns it's it's definitely your choice but we fall under patterns a hundred percent oh yeah I just um, did a little video blog myself on Coffee Talk with Brandy, and it was um, talking about how we change that pathway because our pathways are born, or I mean, when we're born, our pathways are created by our experiences. And if those experiences are more negative than positive, it, it is really difficult to allow positive and new patterns in. But if you want to change it, you have to become aware of it and allow that positivity in say thank you for compliments all of that and I really like what you were saying because I feel like so many of us I mean for me what I called it is I was living my life on autopilot mm -hmm. I was already told by our culture like what what my job would be I'm going to be especially in a church culture where you just get married and you pop out babies yeah like that was it I didn't I didn't have a different plan I never thought outside that box nobody ever taught me although my parents were pretty good about teaching me to think for myself which is a great blessing. Um, but it took me a long time. It took me until I was just about ready to get divorced because my body was so, so entirely sick that, um, that they thought I had lupus. Uh, I mean, they, they couldn't find it. I mean, doctors were frantically trying to figure out what was going on with my body and they couldn't find anything. And I kept saying, and this was before I worked in mental health. I said, you have to know that I am under so much stress right now. And the doctor was like, oh my gosh, you know what, I, I hear you, but I still want to keep looking. So it was so interesting how my body started to say no for me until I said no for myself. I started to take that, that steering wheel and I started to steer my own, my own life. Hmm. And until then, like, um, it was when I finally decided to end that relationship and things had moved on within four or five months, my body was back to normal. So it's like, and, and I started to live my life on purpose versus just that autopilot. This is just what you do. Nope, not anymore. Nope, right. not going to have it. <laughs> right. 
You know, that's that's funny. Um, I I I want to read something that that reminded me of. I made a a comment on on something. I'm just gonna read it word for word. I said. For some reason, we have the audacity to think we can outsmart 13.8 trillion years of nature's design when humans have only been around for 200,000 years. Yes, we are extremely intelligent, but we are not smarter than the higher intelligence that pumps out our own blood and tells us to breathe. Let's listen to our bodies and try to understand what's going on inside. You have all the tools to better your life. Your body and mind is highly intelligent. And yes, we can still use modern medicine and technology when we need to, but don't blindly take it at face value. That's good. Well, and I, uh, who was that by? Was, you know? Uh, I, that was me. That was you. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting because, um, Dr. Mate again has a book. It has several books, but it's called When the Body Says No. Mm-hmm. And he talks about he um, he was a hospice physician. I believe it was hospice up in Canada. I think anyway. <laughs> mm-hmm. Don't quote me if I'm wrong, but um, <laughs> that's funny. As I'm being recorded, but he he soon discovered that he could guarantee like who were the patients that were um, that were in hospice and every single one of them as he's done in his studies were people who never learned to say no they kept they were the people pleasers and he said Mm -hmm. your body will start to say no for you through disease and illness and it's a fascinating read like i haven't gotten through it all i just found like when i applied what i've read so far to both of my parents lives um and my own life um, my parents have both passed on, unfortunately. And I just remember my mom made herself small her whole entire life. Now she had, she had experienced a lot of trauma and was raised with somebody who was not kind to her and it wasn't her own mother. And that's another story, but my mom would not acknowledge her own pain. She never wanted to talk to a therapist. She just, she was numbing for quite a while. She experienced alcohol addiction as I was growing up. Mm-hmm. And um, when I found out she was terminal, I, you know, encouraged her to talk to somebody and stuff and she wouldn't. And so that was a huge lesson for me to really come beside her and allow her her own process in life. But her body said no for her I mean she couldn't even so for instance like I would go to the doctor with her and as an advocate because she is cognitively aware doctors wouldn't listen to me but when she was at home she's at a level 10 pain she had holes in her feet she I mean she had everything under the sun this woman and we would go to the doctor's office and she would just say she was fine so it's fascinating to me to read when the body says no, um, because in my own perspective, watching both of my parents having passed on, as well as having been so sick myself and learning to finally live my authenticity and healthy and all of that stuff has returned. So it's fascinating. I think the stress disease connection is real and there's a lot to learn from it and to learning to pulling back into our own authenticity, which can be very scary. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. 
emotions are more from the body. So you got like anxiety, depression, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. That's more from the body. And that's your body telling you that something's wrong. Yeah. Well, do you know, this is very interesting. When you cry, if you cry alone, those tears are full of cortisol. Now, if you cry in the company of somebody, those tears are actually filled with toxins. So your body is releasing the toxins within itself when you are connecting with somebody versus if you are doing it alone. And I don't know where that study is coming from. If you ever want it, I can look it up. But um, I found it super fascinating. Like we need connection. We need to do that. Our bodies are full of, well, think about it. Like if you experience, you know, getting hit by a car, right? It's a trauma. Inside, our bodies do everything that it does. So I um, recently went to a trauma training, and I can't remember the doctor's name, so I apologize. But she said, when we experience a trauma, our it's called like trauma learning or wave learning. She said, it's like your whole entire body is scanned like a, like a wave. She said, that wave comes crashing in your whole entire body, and your body takes a scan of everything. It implements it on your DNA. It takes a scan of how to keep your body safe if that ever happens again. It um, releases cortisol and adrenaline, all of these chemicals within our body when we experience a trauma. So it's like, how do we work through that to get it out? So trauma can stay trapped in our body at a cellular level until we get it out. And I find it um, pretty fascinating. So when animals experience a trauma, right, they're so much smarter than us. (laughs) So when an animal experiences a trauma, right, some of them, like, let's say you see a deer and they had a trauma and they're playing dead, right? Well, when they get up from that, animals shake their body. And during that shake, it is said that their toxins release and that they're able, you know, they move on. Mm-hmm. So it's like all of those chemicals inside of our body for anxiety and depression, like all of that is toxic. So how do we acknowledge our mental health so that we can become balanced again? Oh, yeah. When you see two bucks uh, charge each other over a mate, you know, there's a winner and there's a loser, and they go about their days, and they're good. Like, they don't hold the grudges or whatever. Like, it's done. Like, that's nature. But, like, there is anxiety in your, if you just look at your household pets and everything, there there is anxiety that they hold. Like, it's the same that we do have. Yeah. So like that's true. That is true. My dog has high anxiety. I tell you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You can t- you can definitely tell some dogs that have extremely high anxiety, and just from personal experiences, that's from dogs that are that are from the pound, or like you know, had were brought up, you know, kind of like oh, I don't know what my life is gonna be like, and you adopt them, and then you know. You can't really get rid of that because they don't have that frontal lobe that tells them that to logically tell themselves that like, okay, yeah, I'm not in the pound anymore. Now I'm in a house that like I can, like, I don't want to worry about where I'm going to go in the future anymore. They just kind of just have that primitive anxiety and that's the thing right now with humans is we still carry emotions from 
300,000 years ago, that fight or flight that yeah. we don't need anymore. But I mean, we, we can't not have it. Cause then like, you gotta like, Oh wow. I have this 10 ton heavy thing coming at me at the highway. Like you still kind of have to have it, but like, there's not any saber toothed tigers anymore. Like, you know, like we but there's don't... different kinds of threats. I mean, yeah. when it comes to, uh, you know, abuse, neglect, all of those kind of things. Um, I mean, there's different kind of threats versus a saber tooth tiger, but yeah. And then there's the reality of all the stuff that is horrible and goes on in our society. And it's like a trauma is a disconnection from the body. So it's like, if you've experienced a trauma, which most of us have in some way. And what is traumatic for one person isn't necessarily going to be traumatic for somebody else. And the trauma is, is the disconnection. So when we bring back connection, we're able to work through the trauma faster or better because we're connected again. Yeah. At I, least in my experience and watching people. I think that comes from external experiences. Unfortunately, you know, wherever you grow yep. up and where whatever happens to your life externally but that's the that's the good thing because the good thing about that is you can throw yourself into new experiences and that's what helped me better my life is i went down a path of well should i go down the path of self-destruction and keep you know going down the path of like you know, I met a turning point. Should I keep doing what I'm doing or should I, you know, take a stand on like, well, I don't know what I want to do with my, I don't know what I have to do, but I know I have to do something because I don't like the way my life is going right now. So whatever you're doing, if you want something and you don't have it right now, whatever you're doing right now is going, is not going to get that. You have to do something different to get that. So, like, what is that something different? So, like, if I'm living a life where I feel like I'm living a life of mediocrity, I can't be waking up, going to a job, going home, watching Netflix, going to bed, repeating. I have to do something. Maybe cut out Netflix. And maybe, you know, study on like something maybe I feel like I'm good at. Like, what am I, what do I have a knack on? And then all of a sudden now I work on that on the side. Like you have to, you know, make a change in your life if you want to live something better. Exactly. You have to stop using the cruise control. <laughs> yes. Yes. The autopilot, the cruise control. You have to do something different. I concur. But, like, how do you get yourself out of the matrix? How do you, like, realize that? You're not going to realize that to personally unless you go through a trauma. Unfortunately, yeah, or adverse experience, yeah. Unless your parents went through it and, like, really, really teach you, like Musafa. But uh, <laughs> ne never met a parent, you know, like Musafa, so... Well, yeah, I find that interesting because as I'm very uh, emotionally intelligent as well as like self-reflective, like my son who's 13 is so incredibly like he he's very self-reflective. And um, so here's the funny thing. I don't know, he might kill me for sharing the story, but 
just the other day, he had eaten the last of something I wanted, blah, blah, blah. And I was kind of frustrated with him. And he yells at me. He's like, I can't help it if my stress coping mechanism is eating chocolate. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my gosh. He's so aware of who he is. And like that, like that was his coping strategy. And um, I think we can become aware. We just have to be in an environment that is conducive for that kind of growth. We have to surround ourselves with people who allow us to self-reflect and be safe in our authenticity. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing my my dad did teach me is you learn by example. And I've like have always kept that to heart. And he was always someone that like worked hard and tried to teach me some morals and manners and stuff like that. And I tried to go my own path and he never fought it. You know, he respected it. And it is extremely true. Like, if, okay, say your kid goes to show and tell. And someone's like, well, what does your dad do for a living? Oh, my dad, what he does for a living is he plays video games. Well, that's not true. He has a a job that's, you know, puts a roof over your head and like maybe plays for an hour on video games or something like that. But that's what the kid sees you doing. Yeah. By example. So like, you know, it's, it's just a, a, a symptom or like, you know, it just like, kind of happens what kids are super receptive they like see what you're doing at all times no matter what age and they're gonna see you do that and they're gonna look up to you and they're gonna want to like mimic you and do what you do because they respect you so if they see you playing video games there's nothing wrong with that by the way but like, no, not at all. but whatever you do, they're going to see. So like it's that's why I think living by example is extremely huge. And that's why I don't hide anything I do. Podcasting, music, anything I do. If my kids are nosy or want to know what's going on, I try to involve them. And it's crazy because they want to put on the headphones. They want to do the podcast. They want to rock out. You know, they want to do all this stuff. And it's going to make a big difference in their life. So, oh, yeah, especially because you're including them. I mean, we all need to feel included so much. Yes. Big time. Yeah. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, we all want to be part of something. So, as we uh, are closing the episode, um, so what is one thing that you've learned from someone else that has impacted your life? Um, Wow, that's a huge question. One thing that I have learned from someone else that's impacted my life. Um, I think it's always to remain curious 
if we cultivate being curious, we automatically lose judgment. Instead of being judgmental towards somebody, to be curious about why that behavior is going on. Like, tell me more about that. That it, that's building empathy. So, oh, um, I I love that because, yeah, being curious does shut off judgment, for sure. Because ju- yeah. judgment makes you assume, and then you're automatically assuming that you're right. Yeah. I think being curious is huge. And you know, it's so interesting as we're thinking and talking about kids because kids in general are so curious mm-hmm. and depending on the environment they grow with in, do they cultivate that curiosity or was that curiosity shunned? And, you know, school systems don't necessarily embrace individual and curious culture oh, either. Yeah, so it's interesting. Yeah. So yeah, I think being curious, is beautiful. I think when you're curious, you're not curious. Hmm. Uh, where can people find you online? So on Instagram, I'm Brandy Peer Support, and that's Brandy B R A N D Y and Peer Support. On Facebook, I am Coffee Talk with Brandy. I just started this new venture in doing a blog and bringing real conversations to to everyone. I feel like there's so many barriers in our systems of accessing supports and mental health supports. And so I want to do all that I can to pull those barriers away and get people just the ability to connect with somebody that understands what they might be experiencing. Because when we have somebody who has similar experiences, we feel seen and heard and we feel valued and that helps us to move forward. Awesome. Um, if anyone who's listening to this, what is one thing that they could take away from this episode? I feel like we both value each other in our own opinions and it's okay that we think differently. I think that there's much to learn from human behavior as well as being alone is okay. And it's important in figuring out what exactly you want out of life. And whether that's with a relationship or a job, like learning to take that time for yourself to figure out who you are, embrace those hard questions, heal that pain. I think that to me is important. Nice. So like perspective and patience. Yeah, and and have love and patience for yourself. Like we so often forget our own compassion for ourselves. Like we are taught that don't be selfish, don't be that. But we need to truly have compassion for ourselves because we are our own worst critics and enemies. And if we can learn to be friends with ourselves and create a more positive inner dialogue, we're going to be able to experience happiness a lot more.